buenos dias. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of How to Build an Empire on a Taco. My name is Matt Lashley and I'm CEO of La Dolce Vapor Company and this is... Zach Nattinger, the CCO of La Dolce Vapor Company. Nice. We got that right. First try. Had a boy. <laughs> Woo! But, uh, you know, guys, we uh, we got a little off track last week. Um, you know, ranted a little bit about how our weeks had gone. Um, the two weeks before that. So we want to get a little bit back on track this week. Um, you know, talk a little bit more business uh, than just ranting, right? So one thing that we... We really learned moving through this in, in the first three weeks of, you know, really truly being a business and selling product is uh, the difference between potential and projections. Um, you know, before we get into a lot of that, I want to kind of just go over what, what that means. Um, you know, with potential is what we could possibly do, right? You know, we went over a lot of the numbers and... and kind of industry leaders and, and middle of the road people and, and the numbers that could happen, right? And that's what, you know, we got the inventory that we have because we want to be prepared in case something crazy and we just, just exploded. Um, and then projections is the same thing, but, you know, it's using statistical data to be able to project that, right? Um, it's using, you know, past month sales, uh, things like that. And that's why, you know, people talk about you have to have these projections going into business. And I think it's more about potential. Um, because it, it's impossible to know, right? How how we're going to take off or how, you know, we were going to sell in the first three weeks. Um, we had ideas of what we thought was going to happen, you know, between interest and, and things like that. But you don't really know until they write you a check, right? Um, and so with us, you know, I found that potential is a lot better than projections when you're starting a company. Um, because potential allows you to prepare for what might happen. But if it doesn't happen, it's not a complete negative thing. Um, with projections, it's all about meeting that goal, right? And so if you project out that you're going to do $30,000 in the first month, and you don't meet that um, for whatever reason, then it's like you're a failure. Even though you could have done 10000 you could have a lot of leads, you could have a great product, it just didn't take off like you thought it would. Um, and so I think it's important to look at potential rather than projections for that reason. Um, because you don't get let down. You know, If you meet those potentials, then it's great. If you don't, you just keep working. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's it's definitely something that as a new business owner, it's it's hard, man. I think that was one of the toughest parts for me was trying to figure out how we were going to do the first month. Because um, we all want to know and we want to be prepared and, and have the amount of inventory. Because in, in, our, in our industry, if you, you know, you go three weeks without product, it's not good, right? And so we want to we wanted to be prepared for that. Um, were we a little over prepared? Probably. We have a little bit more inventory than than we've sold, um, but we're prepared. And you know, if it explodes like we think it will in the next month or two, we'll, we'll be prepared for that. Um, 
And so I think that as you start the company, the potential is important and then moves into projections, right? Because after we, we're in this for a couple months, um, we can project better. We can project, you know, what's our return? How many, how many stores are reordering and how often are they reordering? Um, you know, things like that. How many new stores are we getting a week? How many, you know, new distributors are we getting a month? Things like that. Um, it allows you to be more accurate with projecting what your sales are going to be. And the important part about projecting what your sales are going to be is that you can accurately order inventory. Does that make sense? So that you're not over-ordering or under-ordering. You're getting the right, right there in the middle where you want to be. Um, and so it's important to acknowledge both of those things. They're both important. It's just when you use them and the words that you use. Right? Because... We're both we both got excited about the numbers we could have put up, and I'm still excited. I mean, we're still doing great numbers, but it's just not where we thought it was going to be. Um, but we're an industry that grows at a slower pace because of the saturation in the market. You know what I mean? So, at what point in time do you think people should switch from the potential to projections? Um, I think it, it's a good time in a business. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on one, the industry you're in, and two is is how much data you have, right? Because the more data you have, the more precise the projection is going to be, right? And so, if you have a lot of data points, then it's easier to project accurately. So for us, right, we're still so early into our industry and we're a wholesale company, so we don't do daily sales, right? We don't have 50 people that come to the store a day to buy $4 worth of $20, you know, things like that. Um, and so I think that for wholesale business to business type companies, it takes a little longer to transfer to a projection stage than it would for a retail store. Um, that, you know, in the first 30 days, they can kind of tell what their numbers are for people coming into their store, people buying, um, things like that. Uh, and so it's it's kind of up to the industry, if that answers your question. Yeah. So more of the story is that like numbers are huge when it comes to business. You can't ignore them. No, you can't. And you know, it's it's important to to know these numbers so that you can predict the future in a way. Now, obviously, there are things that are going to happen that are outliers that you couldn't have predicted, but it helps you be prepared more for what might happen. You know, it's like they take all the statistics for, for sports, right, of, you know, for baseball, batting average, for, you know, basketball shooting percentage, stuff like that, to predict what a player is going to do. Right, and so that better equips you to put the best team on the field. It's the same in business. You know, you, you take these data points so you can predict the future of what things are going to do and what flavors are going to sell and what you know, so that you can better predict that and better prepare yourself to be the best company possible. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know that when I was first going into this business with you. Like, I thought it was going to be. You know, just I thought it was going to be easy, but obviously I was wrong. And I'm sure a lot of people starting their, you know, their businesses are going to have the same ideals and thoughts that I had. So 
it's it's good to know that you have to watch the numbers in order to be a prepared to be a successful business. Yeah, and and it's true. I mean, it's all a numbers game, right? You know, you look at profit margins and things like that. You see it on TV shows like The Profit and you know Shark Tank. They ask about all these numbers because they're important. You know, if you're selling something for five dollars and it costs you five twenty to make, you're never gonna make a profit, right? And so, you know, you see this a lot in the food industry because they don't take as careful, they don't be, they're not, they're not as careful at doing their margins and, and what it costs to make, you know, a certain sandwich or a certain thing like that. And, and, you know, you see it all in the profit a lot with, with food is that you've got to know all those numbers. You've got to know what it costs to make. You've got to know, you know, all these things so that you can understand your business. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about the food industry for a bit. Let's right. uh, let's delve into that. I mean, you know more about that than I do. Well, yeah. So uh, you know, I, I've worked in a barbecue restaurant for four years, and you know, you're right. It's hard to keep track of what's going into a certain entree because there's so many factors that go into it. You know, there's you know, a waitress might drop the food on the floor, and you have to account for that into it. So there's a lot of variables that you just can't predict as well compared to another business like a retail store yeah and especially i mean so it food is one of those things where stuff goes bad right um you know we're in an industry where it's good because our shelf life on our product is a long time um but these these food places they have to take into account the waste um you know the the product that they can't sell because it goes bad um or it's not fresh uh and so it is. I think the food industry is one of the hardest things um, because it's just so complicated. You know, you may have a yeah. great dish, you may sell a great product, it may be delicious, but there's so much more that goes into a business behind the scenes than people think. You know, um, it's not just about making a good product. It's not just about you know making something that tastes really good. You you got to have a backbone and a business sense to be able to keep track of everything yeah you know and and so what was the the biggest struggle you saw because you were kind of around the owner a lot you know and and so did you see anything that was a big struggle with the owner and numbers and, and things like that well another thing with the food industry is that you know numbers change frequently you know with us it's a pretty standard number we know our rates and what it costs to make our product but uh so like meat prices they rise and fall frequently so it's just a matter of keeping up with those and doing the research frequently in order to know your numbers and so the numbers game in the food industry is just extremely hard and challenging to keep up with i think that might be one of the reasons why they're the industry that has so many people fail right because yeah. even if they have a good product right they can still fail because they don't do the business part of it and so that actually you know thinking about it now makes a lot of sense of you know why so many food places fail um and especially you know the ones that could you imagine you know it's a mom and pop shop's one thing right but the mass you know the franchises the the store you know the taco bells right that have a million of them um, and keeping track and, and, and doing all that stuff. I, I know there's lots of levels of people that help with that, but it's still, you know, how much work goes into making sure that that's all precise. 
And yeah. one of those, I mean, especially in the food industry, one of those things is, you know, making the, the plates the same size every time. You know, the consistency of how much food you actually put on the plate. Um, yeah, that's another big thing to, is portion control. Because, yeah. you know, with the uh, with a big corporation like Taco Bell, it's a little easier because they have, you know, machines and different tools to help that. But in the mom and pop shop I worked at, you know, it's we have scoops and stuff to measure it out. But... A lot of the people aren't trained as specifically, so it's, you know, it's give or take between the person what the portion side is going to be. So yeah. I think training is another big thing in um, the food industry. Yeah, I think, you know, I think training is big and, and culture is big in any business, right? When you grow and you, you get bigger and you got to have the right people around. Um, you got to have the people that have the same drive and focus that you have in your business, you know, and it, because the, People make or break you as a company. Um, you know, for me, when I shop places, if I go in somewhere and the people aren't what I want, I don't buy there. You know, and that's one of the reasons, back to Apple, um, that I go shop at Apple is the people. The culture that Apple has built from, the you know, when Steve Jobs was around to now is is phenomenal. You know, I go in the other day and ask to speak to a business guy to talk business with me um in our company and they have one there they have a guy that can speak to me face to face and you know i wasn't even there to buy anything i just had questions and he sat there and talked to me for 30 minutes and you know i didn't even make it seem like i was going to buy anything and he still paid it you know a great deal of attention to me because what good companies understand is that you want to keep a customer for life Right, you don't want to make that sale that day. You want to keep them and keep them buying things for the rest of their lives, and that's what Apple has done with me. I will never buy a product that's not Apple because of what the experience I get with Apple. Right, so I'm I'm not only buying a great product, I'm buying a great experience. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's a lot of stores I go into, and you know, I'm super. You know me, I, I fly. I get I get pretty angry pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> And so, especially driving, but, uh, Things escalate pretty quickly while driving. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But you know, there, there's stores that I go out and I'm, I'm super angry when I leave. And so I'm not going back to that. I don't want that experience again. Um, so it's, you're not only selling a product, you're selling an experience and that's what people don't understand it either. Um, and you know, what we've been talking a lot right now and, and, and moving forward is, is, how are, how do we become different, right? You know, that's what I talked to you about last night was, you know, I want to think differently um, because if you go into an industry and you're doing the same thing that every other company is doing, you're going to be where every other company is, right? And, and for me and my goals in life, I don't want to be mediocre in the business world, right? I want to be up there with the Steve Jobs and the Mark Cubans. And so we have to think differently. Yeah. Because, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when you're trying to compete against somebody is just, you know, undercutting them price-wise. But everybody thinks of that. So it's not, it can work, but if everybody's doing it, then you're just going to keep undercutting each other and you're not going to make any money. So it's just a matter of finding that creative outlet to make, differentiate yourself from the other companies that gives you the better edge than just dropping your prices it can help but it shouldn't be the only thing you could you do 
Yeah, and I, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a, a common business thing of, you know, just drop your prices, right? Just drop your prices. Well, that can be beneficial depending on what you want to build your brand as, right? And so we've talked about dropping our prices, but, you know, with us, we want to build a luxury brand. We want you, when you when you feel our bottle and you take our bottle out and you're, you're with our bottle and, and around people, we, we want you to feel like you got the luxury version right so we want you to feel like you're driving a mercedes and they're driving a hyundai right we want that feel from our flavors and so if we drop our prices to the price point that everybody else is selling at that takes some credibility away from our brand yeah um it's it's kind of like you know great value oreos compared to actual oreos exactly you don't want to cut your prices so much that you become in the realm of great value oreos because people still want oreos because they taste fucking amazing yeah so if you cut too much then you're in that realm and they're not going to look at you as the luxury brand that you were before it's all about knowing your demographics right so you you got to know who what your market is so you know it's it's like harley davidson i heard this 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 thing about them on andy frisella's podcast talking about you know the the kind of cult following that harley davidson has built in america is fascinating you know people when you have people tattooing your brand label onto themselves they're not buying a honda motorcycle right with a harley davidson tattoo they're not going to do it. They're going to buy Harley Davidson for the rest of their life. And so you got to know who you're presenting to. And so if you want to come out with a low cost product, that's fine. That's your market. So you got to promote to that market. Um, if you want to come out and you want to promote to luxury people that, that have a little bit more income to spare, you know, then then promote to that. It'd be like, you know, Harley Davidson coming out and making a, mo- a motorcycle that runs on, you know, electricity, right? That's not the people that buy Harley Davidson's. And all that's going to do is piss off the people that buy Harley Davidsons because they don't want that. And so you got to stop trying to please 100% of the people and please 50% of the people. Please the people that you want to pull out of the market Um, because that's going to make your following that much better. You know? Customer relations is huge. I mean, a resale is a hell of a lot easier than finding a new customer. Well, it's cheaper. I mean, yeah, that too. I mean, look at us. I mean, a shop. We'll reorder, and that that takes no time at all. But us finding new shops to get into takes a hell of a lot longer and a lot more resources and time. Exactly. The, the customer acquisition cost, man. So, you know, with us, you know, we'll just use us as an example. Like you said, somebody that reorders, we, we did our first, you know, initial going to the store, taking the time, the gas, the sample bottles, um, all of that stuff, and price to get that one store, Right. When they reorder, there's no extra cost to us after that. You know, maybe if we send them some, you know, cool stickers or, or, or T-shirts or whatever, that's a little cost, but, you know, not, not that much. Um, and they continually bring that income in. But every time we have to go try to find a new store, we have to spend the money to go find that store, um, which is time and, and the samples and the, you know, the, the cost to drive there or, you know, for Texas, for instance, you know, an 11-hour car ride, you know, hotel rooms, um, things like that. Uh, so in the long run, you want to keep those customers. So if you keep 50% of the market happy and, and following you, you're going to be successful. Um, and so don't try to don't try to be everything, I think, is, is the, 
the thing behind that, right? Don't try to be a luxury brand and a low cost brand. You know, yeah. because then the luxury people will stop buying you. The people with the uh, um, the the higher income that they can, what is that called? Um, I don't know. The I I forgot the technical word. It's it's I'm spaced, but you know they'll stop buying. Um, and the low cost people, sure they'll they'll buy a little bit more, but you're sacrificing your market, right? So you're competing with a bunch of the low cost people, which. In all honesty, there's a lot more low-cost brands than there are luxury brands. Yeah. So going back to customer acquisition, you know, getting new customers, it's, that's why it's so important to like just bend over backwards for any customer you get, no matter how small they are. You know, they're helping you start your company. So you're setting the tone with them from any new customer, and it's, it's just dire to, you know, customer relations and all that is just super important when you're first starting out. Yeah, and, and and the whole, you know, even if they're small thing, you know, in our world, those small people can reach masses. And, you know, I'll, I'll use a small example of this is that, you know, my parents have bought Microsoft and, and those kind of things forever, right? And, you know, I was the first one to convert over to an Apple guy. And, you know, I was a lifelong Apple thing, but I went and told everyone about Apple. You know, I told, you know, Apple was the best thing. I told my parents, I bugged my, I bugged my parents to get Apple for years and they finally did. So instead of just selling me a phone and a laptop and an iPad, they sold three phones, three iPads, three laptops. And, you know, just the cycle of phones and iPads. I mean, my dad's bought three iPads. I've probably had four iPhones. My mom's had four. You know what I mean? It's just that cycle of, you know. I know that's a smaller analogy, but you don't know who that business owner knows, right? They could know the biggest distributor in the country. Yeah. You, you never know. And they can also grow. Yeah. And also like that, you don't know who they know if it's a negative impact, right? So, you know, for instance, um, you know, I won't go into a bunch of details, but, you know, somebody I know didn't treat me very well, Um and, you know, I know somebody that sits on a pretty high board of creating something and building something, and now those people are trying to get in on that. Well, it's going to make it very hard for them to do that because I have the inside scoop of what these people are really like. And so, you know, my opinion matters to those people because I have a friendship with them. They trust me more than they trust some random guy trying to enter their business deal, right? And so negatively that impacted them a lot um and so you just never know you never know who people know so if you treat everybody like you know they're your biggest customer you're gonna be successful you are um but going forward um you know with with projections and potential it's always important to set goals i think too with with potential um you know with us we set we set marks for different gross sales um and what we were going to do at each level uh because i think it's important to you know i want to be a company that or a person that owns companies worth hundreds of millions of dollars right 
But if that's my only goal and there's no small goals to get there, then it's tough, right? It seems like a mountain you can't climb. But if you set the smaller goals to try to achieve that, you know, every time you reach one of those small goals, it feels like a, a success. So it keeps you kind of motivated, I think. I mean, I don't know about you, but it does for me at least. Oh, yeah. And it's also good to reward yourself every once in a while. I mean, you want to work your ass off because you're starting a new company or furthering your company. But if if you're not seeing any benefit from it, even small ones, just like, I don't know, once you going out for ice cream or something with your girlfriend. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's good to reward yourself and have those positive reinforcements. It is, it is. Now, is that your reward, going out with ice cream with your uh, your non-existing girlfriend? Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to get a girlfriend first, but maybe when I do go <laughs> for ice cream, I don't know. Maybe we're taking applications for Taco's girlfriend, anybody yeah, out yeah. there. You can contact me at, uh, no. Just <laughs> I expect a full resume, right? <laughs> and I have to approve. Yeah. But no, you're right. It's it's important to set those small goals just to to just keep a drive. You know, don't get burned out. Um, yeah, that's that's the biggest part. It's not getting burned out. And I struggle with that a lot, man. From not a burned out right now because I haven't been doing it long enough. But you know, my parents talked to me about this, and you know, I work a lot of hours, and and I put a lot of time into this, and you know, it's all that matters to me right now. Well, I also have to remember that if I don't take some time to do other things that I enjoy, that I will get burned out eventually. You know, it may not be this year, it may not be next year, maybe 10 years from now, but if I don't take the time to enjoy things, that I will get burned out. And not that I don't, I mean, dude, business is like a drug, man. The highs and the lows, it's like a drug. Yeah, it's a a, roller coaster. You get addicted, man. I get addicted to the adrenaline rush of just. You know, you get an idea and you just, you, you, you got to do it. Um, and, you know, getting that, you go from the lows of, you know, you miss, a deal didn't happen or it's not happening as quick as you want it or, you know, certain things don't occur that you think should. Um, you go from that to landing deals and winning awards and, and one day to the next. And so it's, it is a drug and I love it. It's, it's an adrenaline rush for me. Um, you know, I'm not a jump out of the airplane type guy. So <laughs> this is my, this is my adrenaline rush, but it, it, it's, it's fun, but it's also a lot of work. You know, that's what I, yeah. I, I think that young people need to understand that. Um, and I think that's the problem we're getting to in America is this entitlement thing, you know, the safe spaces that nobody's ever going to tell you something that, or should tell you something that offends you. Well, in the real world, guys, people tell you stuff that offends you. People, you know, stuff's not going to always go right. Stuff's not easy. Um, you know, there's a lot of times that I just sit in bed and I just, you know, you, you, you wonder, am I doing, am I doing this right? And everybody, it happens to everybody, guys, you know. One of the things I was talking to my mom last night about is that, you know, when I, growing up, I thought that, you know, these guys like Mark Cuban and Steve Jobs and, and these guys knew everything. Right, they just got to the point where they knew it. They knew all everything to know about business. Um, well, that's not the truth. You know, you look at these guys and and they don't. You know, they they know more than us. You know, I, I'll give yeah. them that much. Obviously, I mean, they're where they're at because they know more than us. But they don't know it all, right? Because business is ever evolving and ever changing, and so 
you just got to remind yourself that they're in the same spot we are just at a much higher level much higher you know magnitude but they're still they still have the nights where they they wonder if they're doing it right yeah i mean they're still they're still taking the risks and having the highs and lows it's just on a a different scale than we are at right now yeah yeah um and, and the other thing guys is you know you look I think people get into this a lot. You know, they look at the Mark Cubans and those people and they think, well, somehow magically got there, right? Some fairy dust was sprinkled on them and they became billionaires. Well, they forget the start, right? They forget living in their parents' basement. They forget the, you know, Mark Cuban who slept on his friend's uh, floor for six months while he was starting his company. Um, And it's not glamorous, you know, they've made it out to seem, you know, you see all these Instagram things and the, and things like that of, you know, I'm at Starbucks chilling with my coffee, starting a business. Um, when that's not it, man, it's, it's sacrifice. You know, would I much rather be living by myself right now instead of with my parents? Yeah. Um, but it, it's something I sacrificed to achieve more. So you sacrifice now to achieve more later. Yeah, exactly. You're in the same boat, man. I mean, you'd probably rather be out living on your own than in your parents' house. You know? Oh, I mean, yeah, but you know, financially wise, you know, starting a business is rough. I mean, because for me at least, you know, right now I am I have zero dollars in the bank account. I am negative. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and we're blessed, man, with, with family that, you know, is willing to help us, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, some people don't have that luxury. Yeah. And then, you know, you get the whole, you're living in your parents' basement, you're a bum type deal from some people, but what they don't understand is that, you know, I could not be living with my parents if I went out and found a regular job that paid a decent salary. You know, I could be out of the house by now, but that's not what I want. I want more. And, and so this is the sacrifice I have to make at this point in my life to get there. And it's not that I'm a bum living in my parents' basement playing video games, right? I'm, you know, I'm probably working more hours than I would have worked normally. Way more hours. Um, and, you know, it's, it goes back to that whole thing that they, they also think that people that run their own companies pick their hours, right? You know, we don't have weekends like normal jobs. You know, yeah. we're working on the weekends. It's- it's 24-7. I'm not yeah. saying we work 24-7. No, 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 no. But it's not the kind of thing that, you know, we work 9 to 5 Monday through Friday. You know, it's just not like that. Um, if I have a phone call at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday, I'm going to take it. Um, and, you know, this isn't trying to be a pity party or anything like this, guys. We just want to give you the real scoop of what it's like. I love it. You know, it's, it's something I really enjoy, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It's the happiest I've been in my life so far. Um, but we just want yeah, people, same here. yeah, we just want people to understand what it's like, right? Because there's so many of these, these things out there that try to glamorize and try to make you seem like starting a company is easier than just going to work for somebody else. When, it, when I think it's harder, I mean, I don't know um, about you. It def it's definitely harder. I mean, that's why not everybody does it. I mean, yeah. That's why people still go out and work for other people. I mean, it's it's not easy. It takes a certain kind of mentality to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's not it, it's harder, but it's more fulfilling, I think. At least for me, it's yeah. more fulfilling. Um, I definitely agree. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, you get to choose your path as an entrepreneur, you know. If if you want to go one way and, you know, 
you want to be a charitable guy and do those kind of things, it allows you to do those things. Um, it allows you to pick the pathway with which you go, right? You don't have to answer to anybody from the standpoint of, you know, you don't have to go up and sit, ask your manager if you can do this, right? You just do it. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we do have to answer to, you know, we, we talk things over and, you know, big decisions, we go through each other. Um, but, you know, for the smaller things, we don't have to do that. Yeah. Um, we trust and each other. And I think, other. you know, deep down, everybody wants to do that. But it's a, I think it's a matter of safety versus risk. You know, working for somebody else, it's safe, it's secure, it's uh, eight to five. Yeah. Steady paycheck. Yeah. I mean, with, with entrepreneurship, man, I mean, you look at Donald Trump, he's been bankrupt, what, three times? Right? And so it's that risk of, you know, you risk it all. And it's not for everybody. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's harder when you have a family, right? Because, you know, if I don't eat or if I don't have these things, that's one thing, right? But if I have a child, it's a completely different story, you know? And I think that's why people tend to to not want to leap out there and do this is because they have to support a family. Yeah, um, yeah I think we were very blessed in that aspect, the fact that we were so young and didn't have a family yet. Yeah, beat team pregnancy. Yeah. Love it. Because I couldn't imagine doing this right now with kids to feed. I mean, shit. Dude, I, I don't think it's possible, man. No. I mean, it's, I really it's don't. I mean, a lot harder. I think that it would be possible, but we'd have to work another job. You know, I yeah. think that what this allows us not having a family is to, you know, chase this 100% and not have to work nine to five, come home and do this on the side. You yeah. know, um, and it's scary, though, from the standpoint of, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, <laughs> is it going to fail? Yeah. Right. Woo. I mean. We're doing everything that we can, and, and, and we're working our butts off, and we have a great product, but you just never know in the business world, in this free market, you know, one wrong decision can can move you one way or another. I mean, it can make you millionaires, or it can make you broke, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I think it just takes the right person um, to do it, you know? It takes inner drive, Um because there's nobody, it's not like class, right, where you have set, you got to have this paper done by Friday at midnight. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's all that inner inner drive and inner, you know, work ethic that really comes out. Um, and it just takes some natural ability, man. I think that's what people don't understand either, is that it just takes natural ability and, and you know, gut instincts. Yeah. You know, like if if people are listening and they feel like they exemplify what we've been talking, then maybe you're an inner entrepreneur. Maybe you should go for this. Yeah, guys. I mean, I think that if if you really want to do it, just do it. Don't don't wait for you know because for me and you, um, Taco, uh, going through this from the beginning, people thought we were crazy. You know, people, I mean, I don't know about you, but told me all the time, you know, you're crazy, you're, you're not going to make it, you're going to, you know, whatever, you're going to be living in your mom's basement for <laughs> forever. Yeah, but, I mean, I was dropping out of college. I had tons of people. Yeah, yeah. Like, just people that I would see on the street that would, like, I haven't seen in three or 
so many years and you know we'd catch up and be like oh yeah i dropped out of college and they'd be like they just give you that look yeah just just not they would you know they just didn't approve because they've been taught go to college get a job and that's that's important i think trade an entrepreneur as well is that you just don't care yeah right i just from not when i say don't care i mean about what people think right because people are always going to tell you that right because they don't have it in them to be able to risk that and so they're going to tell yeah. you you're stupid because they don't they don't ha- see it in themselves and so just throw that aside and and know that there are people out there um that don't think those things are crazy you know if somebody comes to me and tells me they want to open something or they want to do this you know it's it's exciting you know because the older generation has to pass it down to the next generation um, you know, but yeah, you know, that's and that's a- why networking is huge is because, you know, the majority of people are going to look down on you for doing this, but there are people out there that have the same views as you and are doing the same thing. So it's just a matter of finding that support group that's going to help you mentally get through it. Yeah, guys. And if any of you guys ever want to contact me or taco, um, just to talk things over or, you know, just just to talk, let us know, you know, email us, whatever. I mean, I'm more than happy to talk, you know, um, because it is a scary thing at first. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. And I think, you know, a big part with me was I, I knew an entrepreneur that, you know, was pretty big time, um, you know, mega millionaire. And, uh, you know, I went to him with ideas and things like that. And, and he gave it to me honest, you know, was it stupid? Was it not? Things like that and uh, an advice on how to do things and, and what he would have changed in his own life um, and how he would have gone about it because all entrepreneurs fail, right? And so it's important to pass on your failures so that people behind you don't have to fail like that. Um, exactly. I think that's what this whole podcast is about, man, is just helping people out so that they try not to make the same mistakes that we made um, already. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're yeah. less than a year old and... Yeah. You know, we've made a lot of mistakes coming through. You know, we've made some right decisions, but we've made a lot of mistakes as well. Um, but I think that's all the time we got today. You know, we, we I think we got some good stuff in. Um, once again, guys, hit us up on Instagram at La Dulce Vapor, Twitter, same thing. Um, email us. Uh, you know, just, just continue to follow, guys. We really appreciate everybody that listens. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Um, but tune in next week for for another episode. Uh, I'm not sure what our topic will be yet, but you know we'll, we'll have another good one for you guys. Sounds good. All right, take it easy, guys. Peace. See ya.